Hello and welcome parents, parents by nature, parents by choice, and anyone with no apparent reason for being here. I am your host Chris Osborne, and you are listening to the next episode of Judgy Parents Watching Forever. 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 Naomi, we're back. Yes, the Sandlot, pun intended, we knocked this thing out of the park. Oh yeah, we did. Such a good episode. And you know what? A tight episode too. It's like about an hour and five minutes all together. Oh, that's so way we'll, Exactly. And well, it'll probably be a bit longer with this yeah. little intro, <laughs> but we definitely want to get through this as quickly as possible. But yeah, our parent of the week is phenomenal. Will Ferguson, aka Honky Tonk Amnesia. Amnesia. He... <laughs> Potato, potato, amnesia, amnesia. He's great, and I also wanted to give a quick plug to what he's doing on July yes. 4th weekend. Make sure we get that in here. He's doing a dedication for Willie Nelson's 4th of July picnic in 1976. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be spinning a whole bunch of country records from Texas at Better Half on July 3rd. So go check that out, Honky Tonk Amnesia. And let's get on with the show. Yes, and last thing, I don't think it was available when we recorded the podcast, but I think it is available now. All right, get get your tickets. Welcome back, Naomi. Hi. I, every time I mess up the uh, No, no, no. That We're going to keep that one. <laughs> okay. We're going to keep that one because that was some genuine enthusiasm. Do it again. Hi. <laughs> Summer is here, and we're kicking it off with Sandlot, one of the most quintessential American summer blockbusters, Um, maybe too American for some of us. So, my my opinion has changed. Okay. So (laughs) We'll go over the original opinion. So, yeah, I didn't think I'd watched it, and then my husband said, no, you have watched it, you just made us stop it halfway through because you said it was too American and boring. And I would like to say that (laughs) since then, also... I'm really sorry because that was a bad opinion. Since then, I think, or since watching it for the first time, my kids started playing baseball. And so I learned how it worked because I didn't understand baseball before. So obviously I didn't enjoy it. And so like now there were moments in it when they were like making little references. And I was like, oh, that's really funny. Or, oh, that's really cool that I just didn't get before. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a convert. You're uh-huh. a huge Houston Astros fan, right? Yeah, so I decided... Huge. To, I decided <laughs> to support Houston Astros, and then I think I brought the bad luck to them, and now everyone hates them. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I, like, I was at the games in Houston when they were doing all the cheating. I just thought they were being so special. So <laughs> I mean, that is pretty special. It was. They it was figured out a way arrogant. of yeah, yeah, a way of doing it that wasn't even in the rule book. <laughs> exactly. So, um, all right. You know, maybe you're hearing a little extra energy that's coming out of both of us right now. And if you are, it's because we're shooting on a Sunday morning. This is our first brunch taping. <laughs> it's amazing. And another reason why we're doing it on a Sunday morning and you're only hearing us and no kids running around, is all of my family has gone their separate ways. Temporarily. Yes, yes. (laughs) Temporarily, we have parted. This is going to be a sad episode of the podcast. (laughs) 
we've all gone our separate ways, but it's a great thing. Jess is out in Colorado with her girlfriends. The girls are out with Grandma in San Antonio. And I've just been here by myself in Austin, and it has been amazing. This weather's so good as well. Oh, my goodness. The rain's ended. The rain's ended. The sun is out. Summer is officially on. I went to go see Quiet Place 2 at the draft house by myself. I want to do that. It is such a good movie. If you are ready to go back into theaters, I would highly recommend Quiet Place 2. It is a great movie to get back into the theater experience. No spoilers here, but the movie Quiet Place 2, the opening scene is like the invasion scene when everything starts. And it starts there and then transitions immediately into the end scene of the first movie. And it's done just flawlessly. And the way that Krasinski brings together the stories from the past to the present, expertly done. And honestly, I felt like I now have to go back and maybe change some of my opinions that I thought about the father from the first movie because you were very I was very critical I was very critical of him and it's because now I'm seeing kind of like a fuller picture of the family dynamics you know we just caught that family on a couple of really bad days that was my point I was like they're three months into hell and you're giving him a lot of crap like (laughs) I'm glad you've come back to some level of compassion (laughs) Uh, no that's the thing I just kind of had to see it in front of me because when you're seeing this movie play out you're just seeing so much stress and we've all been in those stressed out situations and it's so easy to kind of like you know play armchair quarterback when you're watching it unfold but it feels like when you have that extra layer of character and humanity added like Mm -hmm. they do within the kind of like first 15 minutes of the sequel you're able to put together those characters in a larger idea of who they are versus kind of like the pigeonhole character that they become in this set of circumstances oh one other thing that i wanted to talk about just going to the alamo draft house is an experience in and of itself and i wanted to give a quick story of how this experience comes to life here's how it came to life with me while i was watching quiet place 2 get to the movie theater Mm -hmm. and if you're aware with how the whole setup works at draft house you have a pen and paper you write down your menu order and the servers are very conscientious of where they are in the movie and you know speaking to you not in a whisper but just like at the perfect level with the sound that's going on behind it and so my server comes up to me and sees my order is looking at it. I'm watching the new Ryan Reynolds movie trailer. It looks awful. Free Guy. It is just the loudest trailer that is happening. It's like the very end of the trailer. And so you know how the end of trailers are are like, bah, 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 explosions, explosions, you know, music. Everything is just so loud. The explosions are going off. And then the trailer cuts off into silence and my waiter goes, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we're out of fried pickles. And and the entire theater hears this. And it's packed, too. The the whole theater is packed and they hear my server go, sorry, sir, we're out of fried pickles. Half half of the theater goes, oh... Like, I'm going to change yeah, my order. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It oh was my incredible. And that's just, like, the type of experience 
that you get at Draft. I should probably say that Draft House is not a sponsor of us. We'd love that. Yeah. But when you're talking about a movie experience, the Alamo (laughs) Draft House is just one of the best places to find it. And so I was just so fortunate to check that out. Uh, Quiet Place 2 out there. That was a lot of fun. Awesome. I'm excited to watch it. So we are really excited about our guest this week. We have Will Ferguson joining who I really like you. My husband really loves you. Um, and uh, you're just going to get uncomfortable here again. But uh, no, he, yeah, he says about you, he's just such a nice man. And it's like, it's said with the level of real genuine passion of his just like adoration for you. So he says hi. Um, but I would love to hear a little bit more about you. I know you first from uh, seeing you do your honky tonk amnesia set. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about it. Thank you, first of all. Um, Don't that, let me thank Jake. Yeah, thank, thanks, Jake, <laughs> uh, if you ever listen to this. Um, <laughs> that is a, a semi-recurring thing I do around town where I play old 50s, 60s, and 70s country music, primarily Austin and Texas records. Pre-pandemic, I was doing a monthly thing at Hotel San Jose mm-hmm. on Sunday afternoons. It actually just now started kind of picking things back up again. I actually think that's why I probably, like genuinely why I started getting into country music because it was in a way that I could kind of understand when I first moved here. Mm-hmm. And then I've listened to way more since then. So English, our right, English large audience. Feel <laughs> <laughs> free to, uh, to listen to Honky Tonk Amnesia. And you're being very modest. So. Yeah, really, really modest. Maybe a little too modest. Yeah. I want you to talk about the 4th of July picnic that you Oh, yeah. We can, I can do it. Yeah. Is this coming out before 4th of July? I can yeah, it will. Uh-huh. Okay. So the other kind of annual thing I do is every year pick a, a Willie Nelson's picnic of a year past and then do a long set at a, at a bar in Austin called Better Half of all of the artists who played at that specific picnic. That's And so, so cool. this year is going to be 1976. Um, doing, I guess, the 45th anniversary of the 1976 show. And so, for instance, like this year, in 1976, it was in Gonzales, Texas, and there was like a huge uproar amongst the locals. Uh, The the Citizens for Law, Order, and Decency actually like created a little organization to try to stop him from coming. Oh, wow. Came anyway, you know, the thing, you know, he, he lost money every year. It was always like a huge mess. This was, of course, like... Decades before, you know, companies like C3 really had fine-tuned how to do festivals. And so, you know, the sound was awful. It's just like literally a bunch of (laughs) half-naked people drinking beer in a field. (laughs) They never had enough water. It was always a, a... mostly a disaster, but he just kept doing it every year and he still does it now. And now, I mean, now it's been for the past many years, it's been at the, uh, F1 track outside of Austin. Um, but yeah, it's just a fun thing because every... Which each year sort of is a little time capsule of where country music was at that <laughs> specific year, and especially within like the Texas scene. Nice, and that's at Better Half. This that's year? at Better Half on the third this year. Nice, Saturday the third. All right, so the parents are about to get into Sandlot, but like anything involving parents, we first have to go over some ground rules. If you've been listening to Judgy Parents Watching, you know we have three rules. Uh, The first rule is privacy. This means that even though we'll be sharing stories about our kids, we still want to respect our kids' privacy, so we'll be giving each of them nicknames to replace their real names. Uh, Will, what are your kids' nicknames? So yeah, we have uh, my wife, Casey, and I. We have two children. We have a three-and-a-half-year-old whose nickname is going to be Bud because that's what I call him around the house. Uh Uh-huh. not usually that in such a friendly tone as I just said it, but... Uh, <laughs> Wait, can you give us an example of an angry bud? 
good. <laughs> Get over here. Uh, it doesn't sound that redneck, but it's sort of like that. Uh, and then we also have an almost nine-month-old son who I'm just going to call Mr. P because that's what we call him around the house. Nice. And they are at an age where they are, ha- they have very different needs right now, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the, the current parenting challenges, as y'all know, like the, the parenting challenges shift, you know, month by month or even week by week or day by day. But right now it's that the, the three-year-old is just going wild and wanting and needing a lot of attention in that arena. And then... The younger one is starting to crawl, and so we got to kind of keep an eye on Lego-sized choking hazards, of which there are like a thousand across the floor in any given room. (laughs) Um, And so we're kind of just trying to balance those two things right now. Yeah, at that age, what does their bond look like? Are they close, or is it like terrorized? Like, how does that work? Uh, I mean, they're not close in the sense that they can't really communicate with each other, but there's clearly affection running mm-hmm. both ways. Bud is the one who can make Mr. P laugh more than anybody else oh, in, nice. in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And then it's actually, you know, our, our older son is a roughhouser and, you know, runs wild, but he is respectfully gentle usually with his younger brother. And so there, so he also recognizes there's some line there that will slowly erase over time until they're just kicking the out of each other yeah right now they're yeah they're getting along great that's great that's so good all right great so we got will's two kids nicknames we got bud and mr p naomi your kids nicknames so the 13 year old is the teenager the 11 year old is mr chatty and then the nine year old is the big easy yes and i feel like we've probably spent so much time talking about them on past podcasts yeah we don't need to go into yeah We'll get into it. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's move on. Okay, so my kids' nicknames: the oldest one, who just turned six, that is Wonder Woman, and then her little sister, who is two and a half years old, her name is Boo Boo. So to recap, the kids' names we got: Bud, Boo Boo, Wonder Woman, Mr. Chatty, Mr. P, the teenager, and the Big Easy. Yes. Great. The second rule of judgy parents watching is keep it family friendly. So we want to make sure you feel comfortable listening to us with your family. So there will be no foul language. Uh, Instead, we'll be editing ourselves with a special word of the week that will replace any four-letter word. And this week's word of the week is pickle. Pickle. I think that was like the first line in this movie, like when the opening scene when Benny's uh, running the, the bases. Okay, rule number three is just have fun. And what this means is that the show's content will primarily be dedicated to Sandlot, but at the same time, we do like to acknowledge the larger world that we live in and the present events we're living in today. And a day before we taped this episode, there was a shooting in Austin, Texas, which at the time of the taping injured 13 people. But since then, one of the victims has sadly lost their life. Now, obviously... This isn't the platform where we solve gun violence, but it can be a platform where we can show support to the victims of gun violence and give them more than just our thoughts and prayers. So, Judgy Parents Watching has made a donation to one of the victims' GoFundMe pages, Jessica Ramirez. She's still currently in critical condition, and if you would like to help pay her medical expenses, you can find that by searching Medical Expenses for Jessica at GoFundMe.com. Again, that's Medical Expenses for Jessica at GoFundMe.com. All right, now press pause, go donate, and let's talk about Sandlot. The first thing that I want to talk about, the soundtrack, I'm looking at you, Will, because it sounds like it's kind of like right up your alley within the honky-tonk amnesia 
library. It's not country per se, but like those late 1950s, early 1960s pop and like I guess the beginning of rock hits. Like it does have this movie has an extraordinarily strong soundtrack in my opinion. And those 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 songs are now and namely this is interesting. This might be a question for you, but like at least within American culture, those songs are basically signifiers. You know, you like certain songs you hear because you've heard them in so many movies and in ads and everywhere that it just instantly puts you in a frame of mind that you don't even really need to listen to the song. That's really interesting because country music and obviously very kind of music that's not nationalistic, but you know what I mean? Like very representative of American culture never really made it over to England in mm. the same way. Like obviously there are classics that just everyone knows, but like if, if you ask someone in England, and I don't want to generalize everyone, but pretty much everyone, if you ask them to like <laughs> name a country music artist, they'd probably say Dolly Parton and then like yeah. not know anyone else. Like no, I had no idea who Willie Nelson was, you know, mm-hmm. um, or anything like that. And I think I love country music. So like I full on embraced it since moving here and it's like a big part of the memories of my life and like there's songs that I can't believe I didn't know before that just you hear them all the time oh yeah I love to hear how hearing some of the songs was a little bit nostalgic or like you know triggered memories and stuff to you because yeah I definitely didn't get that but I just kind of thought it was a cool soundtrack yeah so yeah and Will that's a great point about how (laughs) these sounds just drop you into this era of Americana and when the opening scene comes out you know you're in 60s there really needs to be no story told to this group of kids who's playing a baseball game and then that just automatically transitions into the world of Scotty Smalls and his family dynamic he has just his family has just moved to the valley in california his mom's a stay-at-home mom and then he his dad passed away and he is now living with his stepdad played by dennis leary and dennis leary for my money is the perfect stepdad but as soon as he came on screen both case and i were like oh like he just <laughs> looks like a mean stepdad kind of. <laughs> But yeah, Dennis Leary, his whole demeanor throughout this movie, and maybe even him just as a regular person, is very much put-offish, where it feels like you want to tiptoe around him, you don't want to directly engage, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how Scotty is with his new stepdad and it's a stage where like people are just getting used to each other these new members of the family are just kind of getting used to each other and Naomi I'm wondering you know from a step parent's point of view how long could this stage last do you do you feel like you're still in it sometimes no no (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it'd be a good break (laughs) no I'm kidding Um, um, no so I I actually felt like a little sad watching their interactions at the beginning because the kid is trying everything and really kind of putting himself out there to try and engage and win the affection of the step-parent. And there was a conversation that Jake and I had pretty early on that I kept going back to as I was bonding with the children, which is like, they're a child. It is your responsibility as a step-parent. You have to put yourself out there. You have to tell them that you love them before they're maybe necessarily comfortable saying that. You have to work hard to understand what their interests are and it's like for me there was no middle ground of being a step parent like you the way that our lives set up we have them half the time and you've got to it's so important for their health and for their happiness that they feel supported and cared for no matter where they are yeah so it's very hard putting yourself out there and obviously you know it's you, you want to be the person you, someone's coming to you of course but like I just feel like he wasn't trying and it wasn't important to him and it, I felt so uncomfortable with his mom obviously forcing him to call him dad 
Yeah. You know, like yeah. that thing for me, like with the kids don't call me mum, they, they call me Nugs, so they have like a name, they have an affectionate name. And it just feels like, oh, he's stepping in as a new person. And it's like, this child's been through grief and he's trying so hard and he's so sweet about it. And it honestly like broke my heart a little bit to see just how he didn't care. And he wasn't being mean. It was almost worse. He was right. just passive. Exactly. Yeah, totally unengaged. And all of the <laughs> movies that we've had always kind of come back to this central idea of gender roles and assignments for especially in, mo- especially in this one, where, you know, the stepdad is just, you know, traveling salesman off on his way, doing his own thing, and then has a wife and kid that is kind of like his home base. And with that, it just doesn't seem like an environment that would support a lot of nerd emotions or even just like getting to know each other right there was no effort on it and it was like not touching things and then there was something that again I think this is an example of I now understand baseball more so I kind of noticed it which is when he does eventually go into the backyard and play ball with him he misses that shot there's this level of like disappointment he's just telling him what to do it's not like taking it slow and then I think he throws maybe even the second ball and it smashes him in the face. Yeah. And he goes, gotta watch that curve. And I'm like, the guy's clearly pickled at this game. Like, <laughs> and it was that thing of like the ego of like, he just wanted to get that curveball in to kind of feel good about himself yeah. over making the kid feel good. And it was just like, that was, I think what, for, for me, I was like, that's his character. Because it's like, I have my space. I'm doing you a favor by letting, by bringing you into my home and supporting you. And that is my commitment. Yeah, and he also just doesn't seem to have any sort of paternal vibe going on Mm -hmm. with him. He's still kind of learning that, and he still is, you know, in his own element where, yeah, he hits the kid with the baseball and then also, like, grabs a steak from the... (laughs) Grabs a steak from yes. the refrigerator, yeah. throws it on the kid's face. <laughs> and so these are just things where if you were paying an iota of attention to your kids or just the context of the situation, you would know just a little better how to handle it right. than wanting to kind of handle it your way, which it feels right. like that's a lot of what Dennis Leary's character was doing was just managing the situation with the kid, the step kid, and the new wife his way rather than like incorporating mm-hmm. them into his world and you have to adapt and I think that's the thing it's like you've come into my life I'm supporting you this is the way it is this is my stuff don't touch it whereas like I chose to be part of a family with children in and so I adjust like they did like they didn't choose me yeah you know I hope they were (laughs) happy with their dad's choice but like you know it's like they're gonna be submitting a survey this weekend (laughs) so Mr. Chatty did it yesterday oh yeah because the teenager called me annoying the night before because um I didn't want him staying up all night oh yes um the classic issue I was joking to Mr. Chatty and I was like I was like am I annoying I was like do you like me and he goes yeah you're great (laughs) and I was like cool and he goes that's maybe been like a couple times when like you get a little overly <laughs> sensitive and then what we do is we just you just go down to your chair at the end of the garden and for five minutes and then you're fine and like you've been in my stepmom for three years I think a couple times is pretty good and I'm like thanks Mr. Chatty I felt like really good about myself going, I've been annoying a couple times yeah. <laughs> the fact that he can like call out the specific times makes you know that, that was like sincere feedback. oh yeah he wasn't like oh yeah you're, you're great you're fine yeah. <laughs> exactly like, oh yeah no I'll tell you the annoying parts <laughs> He was like, ah, there were two things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so I think as well, one of the things that really comes out when we talk about him being passive 
It's the fact that he shores him. Like, sure, I will play with you. It could be tomorrow. It could be six months. There was that moment where he said, sure. And the kids, kids like, stood there. And it's yeah. like, oh, wait, not now. Okay. And you could tell, like, he just didn't get it or he didn't want to get it. And I don't know about you guys, but that was one moment where I empathized with him a little yeah. bit. Because, I mean, for me personally, there's a lot going on. And you really have good intentions to do it. But then it's nine o'clock at night or whatever, and you're tired and you just want to go to sleep and not watch Minecraft, you know, like, which is, <laughs> it, this is what happened to That's me last night. That's human nature. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, but we're building a summer camp. I'm like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> sure. And so that is, yeah, I will admit that I did that. So what about you guys? Also different age groups, I think is very interesting with this. Yeah. Well. And unfortunately I feel like I have to, when I saw that question, I have to sure probably half a dozen times a day because there's there's always uh for for bud there's always things that he wants to be doing it's every few minutes yeah so it's there i feel like i'm constantly mildly disappointing him by saying yeah well let's do that let's do that tomorrow or like let's say that for some let's say that for later on this afternoon let's say that for some other time and just hope they forget and or not even or not even that (laughs) but just like get into a spot where like you know just before i came over here we'd already done like three different activities for like 10 minutes each Mm -hmm. it's like he gets bored of something, he goes through something else. So it's like at a certain point, you have to sort of try to space it out so that you're not just going and doing every single thing he wants to do within mm-hmm. the first two hours of the day. Right. So yes, I, I feel like, and but it always makes you feel bad because you are you want to be in that deep engagement moment, but there's only so often you can actually pull that off as a parent. Right. But that is different between Dennis Leary's character. And I don't want to assume his backstory, but I didn't get the sense he cared. It was just like, at some point when it's convenient to me, he yeah. might consider doing it versus you are... You gave the description of, I'm doing this because I don't want to exhaust everyone and exhaust things that we're going to do. Or like, we've done so much that we're tired. Like, that's a, you, you care. Yeah. You know? And Dennis Leary's character also seems to, uh, he's doing like the performative aspects of parenting. Like, even at the part where he's leaving town and he's t- given like the little like lecture of, yeah. oh, now you're, you're the man in the house. house. Oh, yeah. It doesn't seem sincere. It's just like, oh, I think this what is what I'm supposed say, to say to uh-huh. a kid when I'm leaving town. Yeah. I imagine you don't get away with shoring Wonder Woman that much. No, not <laughs> quite. But I do get away with... Basically, I set expectations. Mm-hmm. So she still doesn't have any sort of concrete understanding of, like, 10 minutes from now. She knows that 10 minutes is a short time from now, but it isn't now. Um, she knows 30 minutes is longer than 10 minutes. <laughs> and so... If she ever asks for something that neither of us can give her in the time frame, Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, give me 15 minutes or give me 10 minutes or that's something that I can do in about two hours. Mm -hmm. And she'll always keep that in the back of her head. She doesn't forget it. And most of the time, I don't forget it if it's something that I say like, yeah, 10, 15 minutes. Usually it's always a, a matter of time. So she has some sort of understanding as to expectations yeah. that comes along with it. So she's pretty good so long as you set expectations. And honestly, I feel like she's helped me in my expectation setting with just everyday life. And so... Yeah, it's just good practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's funny is sometimes I see her setting expectations for Boo Boo of like, oh, Boo Boo, yeah, well, we're going to have dinner in two more minutes. Um, but yeah, it's... I, I can say sure, but only to a certain extent. And so after we're introduced to the new family dynamic of the Smalls household, 
Scotty's mom, you know, makes a point for him to try and go out there and make friends, which, uh, valid point, but at the same time, you do see that he has other interests elsewhere, and mm-hmm. and he calls himself an egghead, and he doesn't mind being an egghead. It, it seems as though he's pretty content in his world, and his mom is pushing him to kind of be this type of boy, adolescent boy, that all the other boys are, and I'm... And a part of me just wants the mom to let Scotty live his truth. Well, that's that thing where you've got to balance. When does a child know best? When do you know best? Yeah. And I'm not saying that necessarily the mom knows best in this situation, but you do see a significantly happier child at the end of the movie once he's engaged and he's got friends and he's running around and he's happy than before. I think the method was very high pressure. That's maybe that, like, how could you help him feel comfortable because, and I'm sure we'll probably get to this, it was not an easy process for him to get to the point of having friends and, you know, the parental instinct is to protect. But like, you know, we def- like, we've just come out of COVID where they've just been sat at home doing nothing. Our boys have all started new schools, so we're definitely like, we've probably fallen into that trap of being like, well, who, do you want to hang out with a friend this weekend? Like, why do you go and hang out with people? And oh, it's like, yeah. You know, they're, they don't transition as easy as we do because they've, they're, they're in this world where everything's new. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I kind of did look at that and I was like, oh, well, maybe I'm not being super helpful by saying that over and over again. But her, her trying to get him to go outside, that's kind of goes back to this idea of 1950s, 1960s mm. America where it's like, whether she cares if he's playing with his director set or not, it's this idea of you're supposed to leave the house in the morning, and I'm not supposed to see you until dinner time. Like just yeah. go and yeah. be be doing whatever you're doing, and just come home. But I don't care. Like get on your bike and go. And also, it's like I, yeah, I hadn't. I don't think I thought about it. Like the idea of how old is he roughly? Like eleven, twelve? Yeah, this? yeah. Mm-hmm. Like going out on his bike, and even before we talked to what happened during this time, which seems pretty dangerous, but like. Not knowing where they are every single day of the summer and, oh, you came back. No, it would stress me out. I'd be like, have your iPad on you, be contactable, connect to the Wi-Fi. Like, don't want them, much prefer them to be outside than in the house doing tech. But like, I would be, I'd just be sat there worried. Yeah. Not such a problem here. Yeah. After the mom is encouraging Scotty to go out there, he finds the sandlot and just kind of makes his way to what what was he playing like center field like right center maybe yeah it's just stuck him in like the least likely spot yeah he's just stepping into this game that he has no clue what's going on with this group of kids he has never met before and this never crossed my mind as I when I watched this as a kid but the courage of Scotty to just enter a baseball field in a new town, new kids, new game. I mean, there is so much to be said about Scotty's courage. And then also watching it as a kid when he tries to throw the ball and just doesn't know how to throw, everyone's laughing at him. I saw myself as one of the kids that was laughing at Scotty. You know, like, I'm not the best athlete, but at least I can throw a baseball. I can't. (laughs) I can't throw throw for pickle. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the thing. As a kid, if I were to see this, I would just make fun of you. I would laugh. And, yeah. I mean, I might do that now, but that's just because we're close. Uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> but watching this again as an adult and seeing how these kids just laughed at him and laughed at his the courage that he had to get out on the yeah. field, it was one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the movie watching it over again through this lens. Yeah, probably because you felt bad about yourself. Yeah, no, I yeah. did. Absolutely. I was Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> I had asthma as a child. You were immediately unpopular when that happens. <laughs> what about you? Which character would you put yourself as? I appreciated uh, Chris's point there because it is, when you're a kid, that's like the litmus test. Uh, at least when you're like a male. It's like, can you throw a ball? Yeah. So a kid, or like being sporty, like aptitudes yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, you're, even if you're a nerd, you're supposed to be able to like throw a ball. So like the fact that he couldn't do that when you're a... 12 year old watching that movie you're like okay this kid's clearly a loser like yeah. that's that's just yeah. the shorthand for what that means mm-hmm. uh, and so of course you're the, you're gonna be one of the kids who's laughing at him but now seeing it as an adult it's just kind of painful to watch it's like this kid really wants to be in this crew and has no idea how to go about doing it well, I'm glad we could all get through our differences and be friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, after everyone is laughing at Scotty and he leaves the field, this is when we're introduced to the character of Benny Rodriguez. And honestly, just the what? Best. he is just the best. And when you're talking about the type of children that you want to raise, I mean, Benny. He, it, Benny, absolutely. He is empathetic charming, ethical, uh, ethical, talented, friendly. You know, he's the clear leader of the group, but he also seems like he is a parental figure as well. Because when you're looking at the, the kids here and kind of the whole setup and scenario of this time and place, which was a valley, I did a little research on Wikipedia and the valley in California at this time there were a huge number of all sorts of families moving out there for jobs in California, and then they were building these uh, cities that were outside of L.A., and so there's a lot of kids there, a lot of families, but at the same time, you know, they might not have the same level of parental oversight as some other kids, Mm. and it really felt like Benny stepped in as the parent, almost, or like even the father, to this group of kids that, you know, he was playing with on the sandlot. And my question to you, Naomi, (laughs) (laughs) which I already know the answer to, but Naomi, who is the parent in your friend group? Go. Jess, your wife. (laughs) 100%. I I have numerous times called her mom. Like, and I read that question, I was like, next question. I would like to say, though, as well, like, the thing for Benny, to me, when watching it, was I had this, like, image of the fact that Scotty's father had died, and he was starting to get into baseball, but he had passed away at this critical time where he, before he learned, before he practiced, before he, you know, and I don't think I, again, realized before I moved here, like, wearing in your first glove, doing ball practice, it's, like, such a quintessential father-son bond, right? So he was missing out on that. And then you see Benny, who gives him a better hat, gets him sorted out. You know, kind of, like, a little bit of father, like, scruff on the head, like, come on, and protect him, and has that bond. And I was like, he basically did the parenting that his blood father couldn't, and his stepfather wasn't doing. Yes. And gave him that path. And like, I, yeah, everyone needs a Benny. So thank you for marrying Jess. <laughs> <laughs> it's really helped me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I want to ask Will this. Will and I run in uh, similar friend groups here. And I want to hear your answer as to who's the father figure, who's the parent in our group. Can I name my name or does he need a, does he need a nickname? Uh, you, can, you can give a nickname. 
I would assume it'd be the badger. Yes. Yeah. Wait, it's not. It's not Chris. <laughs> no, Chris is the Wait, Chris is the boo boo of our group. <laughs> Always needing babysitting. <laughs> He's very right. But yeah. I will say that part of the charm of our group is that there doesn't really need to be that figure. I think that we're all like, there's not like a clear. We're pretty I think, self-sustainable. Yeah. Oh, we're also, yeah, we're also <laughs> in our late thirties yeah. and forty years old. So hopefully there doesn't need to be a with your own children. Yeah. <laughs> with us, it's just who gets to act like a kid. It's yeah. not like we're all we'll all be the parents, and then each night one person gets to act like a child. Yeah, it's nice. It's usually Christmas. <laughs> so after Benny hooks up Smalls with the glove, the hat, everything that he needs to play ball, they then go and play a game and it takes a few practice throws, but Scotty eventually gets it and, you know, gels with the team and everyone's, you know, going through the motions together, having a good game until finally someone knocks a ball over the fence. And after this happens, Scotty goes to the fence. He's, you know, he's walking to the fence. The whole team freaks out, goes over there, and they're telling him about the beast and, you know, how the ball goes over there, never goes back. There's a big, angry, giant beast over there. there there's no there's no going back from what's over that fence, mm-hmm. so you shouldn't even try. Right. And to me, I really admired how kind of like the naivete of Scotty of just going up there and saying, why don't we just climb this fence and get the ball back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, that's that's Scotty's courage that only Benny could really see. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I wanted to talk about with this was just the whole idea of Mr. Myrtle's backyard, the fence, the beast, and kind of like a hot take of what that represents. Because when I watched this as a kid, it was like experiencing it much like the kids in the movie are. Like where, yeah, exactly. <laughs> where it's like, oh, you can't go over there because there's a big angry dog. It was a very literal interpretation of the movie. Watching this again as an adult, to me, the fence symbolizes adulthood and the responsibility Mm -hmm. and the adaptability that comes with it and the idea that once you cross over this line of adulthood, Mm -hmm. you're never coming back from it. Right. I had that thing through the movie where I was like, is it just me or is the beast getting smaller? Like, it yeah. just very gradually gets a little bit smaller, and then in the end, it's this, like, big, dopey Hercules. Exactly. But, like, kind of, like, a cute big dog. And I, for me, it was that thing of... What I definitely thought of was, it's just, you know, what is a fear? It is something that you don't know, number one. Like, the fr- the beginning, it starts off, it's like, you see this paw, which looks like it was made in, like, arts and crafts. Yeah. Like, going out and, like, grabbing this ball yeah, back. Special effects budget. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was low. Yeah, so it started off with this, I don't know what it is, it's huge, it's crazy... Then they know what it is and they're trying to almost like outwit it and fight against it and all of that kind of stuff. And then in the end, it is a dog playing fetch, essentially. Yes, yeah. And it doesn't mean that the fear ever goes away. It doesn't necessarily mean that like the dog isn't going to continue to steal the balls that you want. But it's that thing of it, it's put in context and you've you've embraced it. You know, I remember I once had an operation and my mom said to me, she was like, just take each step as you go. Yeah. Like, only think about getting to the hospital. Only think about getting into bed or putting on your the robe mm. that you have. And I think that's almost what they end up doing, which is that they slowly kind of understand it a little bit more until really by the time they see it and he jumps over the gate, they're not scared at all, really. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it's like, oh, it's a dog wearing a t-shirt watching us play. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I, thought that that was, I thought that that was a really, really great metaphor through the course of the movie. And I think something that everyone can relate to because... Becoming an adult is really scary. 
when you're a kid and sometimes even now being an adult is really scary because of the response you know you have kids right and the responsibility is some sometimes pretty overwhelming yeah. so it's like I, that I, I definitely like related to that a lot mm-hmm. but so coming out of realizing what the beast is and how you can never go into the backyard or retrieve anything from it we're brought into the camp out scene in the treehouse, which the architectural engineering of a treehouse that could fit nine adolescent oh, yeah. boys in. Wow. <laughs> I need to talk to this architect. Um, you might be able to find that treehouse on Airbnb today. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, it'll be like a thousand dollars. Yeah, Because exactly. apparently living in a treehouse is more expensive than a hotel. Yeah. But what I loved about the scene, of course, was, uh, you know, Squints is telling the story about his great great grandfather head of the police force who locked up the dog and threw away the keys but it's this urban legend that basically promotes this story or you know lie essentially but this lie (laughs) saturates the minds of everyone around it and so it becomes fact Mm -hmm. and and i'm wondering do you have any like urban legends in i don't know either england or your neck of the woods the bearded lady. Oh, the bearded lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bearded lady. I think she's dead now, actually, which is oh, sad. Oh, R.I.P. Um, R.I.P. <laughs> um, so she was a... And this is like the 90s, right? Uh-huh. So the fact that everyone in my town called her the bearded lady. And she would walk around with some lavender in her hand, this leopard print coat. And she was a lady with a beard, which now you would very rightly be criticized for saying... But she was even called in a local newspaper, I think, when she died, the bearded lady. And so <laughs> it was always like, you know, she was, I think she was homeless. I don't, you know, I do think that there was other stuff going on. She would always be up and down the street near where I went my yeah. school was. So it was like, you know, I heard that, you know, this is how she came to Guildford where I lived and this is what happened. And she, she was an urban legend in itself. And then what I love is that one day I walk into Marks and Spencer's as a store to meet my mom and my mom sat having a coffee with her and she, she's like go. she's like she's great and yeah. I just oh like she'd come and she'd just chatting and stuff my mom can talk to anyone mm-hmm. and she like people like irradiate towards her and so that was like it was so like oh wait you talked to the bearded lady like I didn't even know she spoke I heard that she just whispered like you heard like anything and everything and then I'm like oh no she's just a normal human and it's fine. Like, yeah. Yeah. What about you guys? Well, you know, it's so interesting that you bring up a member of the trans community Mm -hmm. because that really is reminiscent of Leslie here in Austin, who's a local legend. And Leslie, the one that died in the past year or so, maybe like five, five years ago. ago. Yeah. But if you were on sixth street in that time, you'd probably have a beer with Leslie. Leslie was the king of the homeless people. The person who was always wearing a thong on 6th Street. The, oh, and he epitomized the key post and weird. Yes. Like, yeah, yeah absolutely. So this, like, we the urban legend that we learned from Leslie was more of something that we took pride in that there are, you know, like, this legend is our legend in Austin. Mm-hmm. This is the epitome of, like, keep Austin weird. Even though, like, the bearded lady, I'm sure Leslie had their own problems right. as, as well. Um, but it's just, it is interesting how, you know, in this time era that we grew up, the trans community were very much a legendary status because so much of it, people were trying to keep it under wraps or just not acknowledge it. Or not understanding it and not understanding it being fine. Yeah. That's how I always felt about it because it was like, I remember being a kid and thinking, well, how? 
Yeah. Like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it, oh, it must be hormonal. Or it must be like, um, you know, is, is it a she or he? And there was a lot of questions in my mind that great to ask, but I had no resources to help me make sense of any of it. I can't remember who I was talking to. And I was like, you know, there is a education that we all need to acknowledge and own yeah. with this because it's like, we weren't brought up in a world where anyone understood it or shared or even gave us like an impression of it. Probably less where I'm from than here. Yeah, I'm glad that... I'm glad that, like, there's a different world now, whereas, like, if they're a legend or there's an urban legend about them, it's going to be cool. Well, yeah, it's going to be cool or it's going to get straight to the fact. Right. You know, where it's like, let's get this straight, all right? (laughs) (laughs) This is who they are and here's what they're all about. They would probably have, you know, if Leslie had their own Instagram account right now, I I feel like thousands, thousands of followers... Um, okay, so moving from the campout scene, we move into the pool scene, which is the most notorious scene in Sandlot, where Squints steals a kiss from Wendy Peppercorn, the lifeguard. The lifeguard. It, it, <laughs> Naomi just threw her hands in the air and leaned back. <laughs> but they say it in the movie, where it's like, what he did was like... It was low, it was dirty, it was rotten. You know, like, they address that the action was improper, (laughs) but they also counter that with, but it was cool. Yeah. And to me, that is the bigger sin of the movie, having it portrayed as cool and also that the lifeguard Wendy Peppercorn liked it in the end. Like, that is, that's the issue right there. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot they got married. Yeah. I... Was so firstly, 90s movies and mouth to mouth resuscitation being a very s- close to kissing. Honey, so, I shrunk Yeah, the there are so like, many. <laughs> like, I, I, I remember thinking, like, you know, if I pass out, maybe I'll get a kiss at the end of it because I was young. Right, that's the <laughs> only way kids could have a kiss exactly. in 90s movies was to was like, oh, get mouth to mouth. But, like, I so hey, I on one side appreciate the fact that I'm sure 11 or 12 year old boys would be like, yeah, that's cool. Even if, you know, it's like early noughties music videos where it would be like fancying the teacher or this kind of stuff. It's like, that's just kind of like kids being kids. The fact is, is that I'm pretty certain nowadays someone who is probably pretty close to being an adult in real life would be allowed to kiss a child in a movie. Like, in real life. Like, you wouldn't be allowed to do that anymore. And I looked at it and I was like, was she really poor? Like, at what point? Like, imagine being that actress and being, even if you're 18 or, like, 16, but you're still significantly older than this child. That would be so weird to do. As an actor. As an actor. Like, it would be a really uncomfortable situation to put yourself in. That was my main thing. Like, I feel like I watched a lot of stuff and I was like, you could not do that now. Like, and scattered through all of these movies that we're watching is, like, that is... You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to portray that now because it would be encouraging something so bad. Right, right. I mean, that is a, a very problematic portion of the movie, but I think that's that's not even the most sexist part of the movie. I think the most sexist part of the movie is that I think that she has, you know, there's there's a scene where she's walking down the street, there's a scene where she's rescuing the kid and then, like, kicking him out of the pool, and then there's the mom having, like, a few scenes. I think those are the only speaking lines for females in the entire movie. <gasps> yeah, you're right. Like, there aren't even you're really right. any female characters period which in a way is sort of like the charlie brown thing of there's not really adults in this world this is mostly just a kid world and when you're an 11 year old boy it's just you and your buds it's not like it's you don't really even have like female friends uh, in in many ways but 
that was to me the thing that struck me the most about the movie was not even that scene but just the fact that like females only exist in this movie to either be lusted after or to be the mom figure and there's no there's no other role for the female in this yeah. movie at all which is so do you think well. do you think that that is a reflection of them trying to emulate the era or because we've spoken about this before like 90s women characters have typically been pretty two-dimensional mm. do you think it's a reflection of that like the the time of filming or the era that it's set in oh that's a good question um thank you I think probably both. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, that's stereotypical way that you would portray that era. But I also think we are as far now from the filming of that movie as that movie was from the time period it takes place in when it was released. Like, it's a movie about the early 60s. It was released in the early 90s. And now here we are in the early 2020s. So, like, we have gone, like, you know, we're... If you made that movie now, it'd be about kids in the 90s. Um, So I think that it is... I mean, it's a very different world now. I mean, I... We... Casey and I watched movies that came out five years ago, and we're like, wow, you couldn't do that anymore. Like, mm. and even just in this very short period of time, it's changed so much. So I think that there's been a huge amount of change. So I think a lot of it is also, like, if you were to reboot this movie now, probably the character of Benny might be, like, a super awesome, empowered, scrappy girl. Mm. Like, I mean, they, they, you know, they wouldn't make that movie again if they made it now with no girls in it. Yeah. 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 So one of the scenes that I really loved and one of those scenes where you know what's going to happen before they even step <laughs> on the tilt-a-whirl, um, which we call swinging chairs, I think, by the way. Oh, oh okay. Or like, yeah, there's different names, but a tilt-a-whirl was new when I saw it written here. But yeah, so you knew that the boys taking the backy, chewing it all up, and then getting on a tilt-a-whirl and they're having so much fun and then it flips. And I think we can all probably relate to, well, particularly with your friends, thinking that something's going to be really fun and a good idea of what could possibly go wrong, and then it goes wrong. Um, so, Will, I hear that you actually have a story about a tilt roll specifically. I, I will say that, to me, the acting in that scene is the best acting in the entire movie because yes. the looks on the kids' faces yes. put you in that feeling so quickly. It's like, you're oh, like, oh God. Yeah. Like, just like the way that they are kind of starting to grimace. And like staring around, um, yeah. like just yeah. is anyone else in <laughs> like, this, is this position? Is this ever going to end? <laughs> um, my my story on this: my wife and I were were out in uh, West Texas, and it was almost like out of like a dream. We were just driving around, enjoying the countryside. This before we had kids, and we just come upon a county fair that's like out in the middle of nowhere. That's so cool. And so we were like, okay, we we have to go. Of course, we go. We get the tickets. We're having fun. And then we we want to do the tilt whirl, or specifically she does, and I'm not big on <laughs> or rides. distancing yourself from yeah. this decision. <laughs> and like so quickly, this is kind of going back to what you were saying about you know being an adult and trying to transition back into childhood. There's things that you could do as a child that you cannot do as an adult, mm-hmm. and for me, that's one of them. We were within moments of starting the ride. I was thinking like, oh, this was a terrible idea. Like, <laughs> and there, and then the funniest thing, it was one of the ones where it might have been like. Um, not technically a tilt-a-whirl, but it was, you're in a capsule that's spinning, but it's also orbiting a central spot. And Casey was sort of enjoying it, but was like, this is not great. And I was not enjoying it at all. But the best part was we would spin around and be briefly near other little cars. And there was like a seven-year-old kid just looking like a 
total cool dude just leaned back it wasn't bothering at all and he was like giving me a thumbs up as I'm like, <laughs> trying like to, white as yeah. a sheet and it was you know so, so we land and I'm like okay that's I will literally never do a tilt a whirl again in my life and that's you know one of those moments where you're like okay there's things that you enjoy as children that you or as a child that you just like cannot do as an adult yeah like that, we, so that, that scene brought me back to that moment of trauma where I was just like oh my god I'm gonna vomit so after the tilt-a-whirl scene, the kids go back to the field and Benny hits the, you know, hits the skin off the baseball. They think the part the game is over, but then Small says, oh, I know where to get the baseball. And he go grabs his stepdad's baseball. And mm-hmm. he grabs the stepdad's baseball from like the stepdad's man cave area. And I remember seeing this scene earlier on in the movie. I think Dennis Leary is in there uh, listening to a baseball game. But at the beginning of the movie, it seemed a little sad for this guy who was just like had his own room covered in old trophies and kind of like memorabilia from a past life. But thinking about it again and also thinking about the idea of like the separation between adulthood and childhood, like his man cave was kind of his area where he could step back into childhood or at least kind of like have the same fun mm-hmm. um, as you would as a kid, you know, playing ball. So I'm, I'm just wondering, like, Naomi, for you, what what is that moment or that thing that you're able to kind of step back into being a kid again or have the same fun um, as an adult? A lot of it's music, mm-hmm. truthfully. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not just saying that because I'm sat with two people who I know also love music. Like, <laughs> Music for me was a huge part of growing up and can really be a dictator of my mood Mm -hmm. and how sort of carefree I am. And so, you know, especially when I was living in London and would commute a lot, you know, if you're tired or you're having a bad day, we've had a stressful day at work, you then have an hour and a half to listen to music to really just kind of then have fun or just, or also indulge it sometimes, just, I don't know, listen to Coldplay or something. But like, I (laughs) I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. For me, like um, having listening to Queen is mine. Mm. That was what my dad and I did. Six CD changer, greatest hits one, two and three. And then we'd always have three niche albums that we know that we do like kind of magic, like all of them. And Mm. I love Queen. And I just got a new car and I'd always said to my dad, I was like, when I was 16, I was like, cause I living in Europe, I'd never really had my own car before. Mm. And, um, I was like, whenever I get my first car and I'm driving it for the first time, I'm going to play. I'm in love with my car by queen. Do you know the song? Yeah. And it's like, who is not, um, is it Roger Taylor who sings it? Cause it's not Freddie Mercury. And it's just this like random song that one of the other members of the band is allowed to sing on. And it's Roger <laughs> Taylor. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the drummer from queen who ends up singing it. And I was like, and I'm going to sing really loudly. And so I have this British Racing Green Mini with the top down, <laughs> driving around Pemberton, which is like quite a nice area that you shouldn't be screaming. I'm in love with my car. And there's a lot of innuendos in that song. <laughs> and so I was like screaming this song. And my husband's very supportive. He was like looking a little concerned, but he just let me do it. And then I messaged my dad and I'm like, I did it. Nearly 20 years later, but I, I achieved what I wanted to achieve. And I always wanted a Mini too. So yeah, that was my oh, like, little childish moment. How about you? I think actually only recently have I realized that the moments of me getting back into childhood have more and more to do with my own children. Oh, yeah. And playing with Bud and getting into, you know, he's he's starting to get into Legos and he's into Hot Wheels. And mm-hmm. so all these things that I was playing with as a kid. And you can quickly get into that mind state of just being 
really into building with Legos, mm-hmm. which I know I know Jake does because I've seen on. Yeah, on we do, do. I didn't do it a lot growing up, but yeah. for me personally, it's like a whole different sort of childhood. Yeah. So I'm learning that. But I imagine like being a guy, you know, and doing a lot of the the things that you used to do is like yeah, it, yeah, just like Hot Wheels races and stuff like that, which you know you you kind of have to get into that mindset in order to enjoy it. But like oh, yeah. I, I find myself more and more as as Bud is getting older. He's getting into toys that I was into as a kid. And yeah. So, like, being able to get in that space is not very hard at all anymore. Yeah. And so, after Scotty Smalls goes into his dad's man cave, he retrieves the baseball signed by Babe Ruth. He doesn't know who Babe Ruth is. He's heard all of these nicknames that they the mm-hmm. kids have been giving Babe Ruth, so he's not 100% sure. And he takes the ball hits it over the fence and the ball's gone. Now, Naomi, <laughs> this, this is the this is the conflict which continues the movie, but to your point, this is the point where the movie should have just been over. Well, <laughs> yes, because there's this moment in time that Benny's there and they're going, no, don't do it, it's so dangerous, to learn. he goes, but I have to. And I'm like, mm. Did you? <laughs> because, and I was, so I was, I think, finishing watching this yesterday, and I was messaging about that, saying, like, I really don't feel, like, at this point, this is the scariest this beast has been, right? Like, you know, you're even though they know it more, it's circumvented all of the things that they've tried, and so it feels very high risk to physically go in and get it. And so he's saying that he has to. And I was watching this, my husband had already gone to bed, and he's a little grumpy if he wakes up in the middle of the night, and I think one of the boys had asked for like melatonin or something. So he came into the bathroom like, Rrr. and I go, I was, he was like, how's the movie going? And I say, well, I'm, Benny's about to jump over the wall. And I feel like this is really unnecessary. And he turned around and goes, it's effing Babe Ruth. And just walked out of the house. And then walked out the room and shut the door. And I'm like, Ooh, okay. And so that was amazing about it. And you talk about going back to your childhood state. He was half asleep. Kind of like, oh, like, oh, trying to do it. Uh-huh. And he immediately, like, snapped out for three seconds to yell that at me and then goes, and walks out. <laughs> and he was the kid. And the kids in that movie would say the same thing. Like, you're telling you their kids the story and they're going to be like, it was Babe Ruth's baseball. And it was actually awesome that that happened at that moment because it made me kind of get it. What yeah. happened there. <laughs> so uh, it was Babe Ruth. What'd you say? Who is Babe Ruth? <laughs> like, this guy. Like, Babe Ruth is, like, the most... Famous baseball player. Oh, so he's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, so I didn't. <laughs> so he was like a he was he played for like the Red Sox, but then like for the Yankees, and and up until like I guess the year before this movie takes place, nineteen sixty one, he had he had held the record for the most home runs in a season, and so he's kind of like the greatest baseball player ever, especially for kids of that era. He would have been like the hero. He's the most baseball like he's like the greatest baseball player. Awesome. So. Yeah, I wasn't certain whether this was a fictional hero or a real hero, yeah. so this is very helpful. I didn't research these, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's someone who, like, is just idolized by the kids, and they want to be like them. Yeah. And yeah. it's so famous that he kind of becomes shorthand for that sport. Like, yeah, like David Beckham is shorthand yeah. for, like, Man United and yeah. for football, because yeah. he was really good. That just brings us into the points up to the climax where the kids are trying to get the ball back with all of these great inventions that i mean there's the erector set they start out pretty simple with a broomstick and a pot that's like duct tape 
together. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I saw that. I was like, yep, that's, that is the first, that's the first the option there. Talk. Yeah. And then it just escalates from that. And I love the ingenuity that they have within each attempt to try and get the ball back. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering what are some of these little moments of ingenuity that your kids have? Firstly, like, it's game over very soon because I'm already <laughs> quickly becoming the shortest person in the house. Oh, and yeah. yeah, the oldest is, I think, taller than me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there was a lot of like uh, tongs to grab like Coca-Colas from shelves oh, that we'd okay. put up, like that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's also a... Our youngest, the Big Easy, would love this movie. Like, there's particularly that part of the movie because he is an engineer, an architect, and he loves building stuff. And so the reason he does Minecraft so much is that, you know, I'll say to him something like, let's build a summer camp because he's going to summer camp in mm-hmm. two or three weeks. And so, you know, let's let's build games to do within the summer camp that uses the tools that you've got and like use some of the new stuff. And a lot of our conversation will be like spitballing ideas of stuff to do and then he'll build it and then he'll show it to me. And, you know, he for my birthday a couple of years ago, built me a Minecraft world, and then there was explosions in the shape of the word happy birthday nugs and stuff like that. And oh, it was like, oh, you know, yeah, so that he, he would be the person, I mean, he's also the Benny. Like, we all know the Big Easy's the Benny. Yeah. Very moral. He, he said something slightly grumpy to Jake the other day, and Jake just goes, oh, and then leaves the house. And he had, he'd cried and then apologized immediately because he felt so bad. <laughs> and so he would be the Benny who would also come up with like all of the con- like contractions yeah. and stuff like that. Will, do your, does Bud have any schemes that he's putting together nowadays? No, it's all still too direct. You know, he, he doesn't have any, <laughs> doesn't there's have no guile. Something. It's just, if he wants something, he's just going to do it. And you can be in the act of telling him no, and he's just going to go get it. Like So there, yeah, but, but that is a part of the movie that I can imagine because I have, I was a kid who was very into baseball, but I have two younger brothers, neither of whom cared all about baseball. And I can picture that being the part of the movie that really like captures their imagination is coming up with all those very, they're very nineties movie-ish kind of Rube Goldberg mm-hmm. type contraptions to do something that's pretty simple. Yeah. But it has to, you know, it's like involves, you know, like little. The peddling of yeah, the rope. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Of the rope is like a perfect one or, you know, and all, all the different things they have to do in order to just basically move this plot along but also you 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 know they're gonna fail multiple times and like each time becomes kind of more more and more outrageous how they're gonna yeah. get it back so. that was that was perfectly summarizing every movie of its kind that happens they're <laughs> gonna and then you're like no it's not gonna be this one no it's yeah, not gonna yeah, be this one that yeah. works next one next one <laughs> after all of those plans fizzle out Benny decides to step up and just hop over the fence. And that whole scene was another version of him just being a dad and showing all of the kids what it's like to own up to your mistakes and how the responsibility of uh, adulthood isn't as overwhelming as it's portrayed to be. And you Mm -hmm. can jump into adulthood and jump back into childhood so long as you kind of have the mental awareness of the two coexisting together. Mm -hmm. And And when you start the movie, if you say someone was going to jump over the wall, you would assume it was Scotty. You would assume that it was going to be his opportunity to show that his growth, his talent, his bravery, because he's trying so hard to see that and they will celebrate Mm -hmm. it. But I think it's actually better that it's Benny because then it is the example of the person who's the protector and right. the father figure who's going to do it. And he, he's still an aspiration by the end of the film. It's, this isn't a story of all of them reaching a point of maturity. It's just the fact that it's possible via what you see with Benny. Yeah. 
And then once they finally come upon the beast and they're basically struck with humanity in front of them with, do you, you want to help out this creature? None you know? of them helped. Exactly. It me and crazy. that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's where Scotty's, yeah, that's, that's where that's Small's, his yeah, yeah. Compassion. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we're all, all of these kids are kind of finding where their strengths lie. And Scotty's strength is within this deep courage. Yeah. So it was really great seeing him, mm-hmm. you know, also show an example, just like Benny was showing to the rest of the other kids. And uh, they meet Mr. Myrtle. And I think my favorite part of the movie was when they tell him what's happened and he I, go, he, I really he, hope you're about to say the same thing yeah he just says why don't you just come over here and ask yes <laughs> and that, that's a little bit like self-aware about the movie yeah like, <laughs> very much all so of this yeah was very unnecessary yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's funny because i would say looking holistically at this movie i really felt it was very not just a fun sweet movie it was very sentimental there were life lessons there but it's really done through very few characters it's done through two characters yeah that you really learn about the kids are the same kids at the beginning of the movie the other kids are the same kids at yeah. the beginning of the movie than they are at the end you know they don't grow they don't learn they are an example but they're also they represent just like 90 percent of children and then there's this kind of and i'm sure we'll get to this but like where are they now it's kind of like a little bit tongue-in-cheek. You're absolutely right. It was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But it also closes that metaphor of the fence and adulthood. Because when you look at it, none of the other kids progressed any further than Smalls and Benny. Because none of the other kids really actively chose mm-hmm. to cross the fence. And so they all kind of became the same adult versions of themselves that they were on the sandlot. Yeah. You've got the kid who brought the tobacco. He got he you know got really into the sixties. Yeah. It was never heard from I again. I want to watch it all again. <laughs> then the kid who went over uh, from the rope was into you know bungee uh, jumping. Mm-hmm. Ham becomes a pro wrestler, which you know when you think about pro wrestling, it's all about like preening and smack talking yeah. and you know making yourself exactly yeah. exactly making yourself look bigger than you are <laughs> squints has nine babies with windy peppercorn right. which yeah i i want to know how many of those conceptions were consensual so <laughs> <laughs> hot take hot take so yeah you're right all of the, what the kids experience there just kind of continue to be the rest of their experiences in their life but then you've got scotty and benny who have taken a bit more from what they've learned from each other within the summer well it's kind of for me it was sort of making that conscious choice of are you going to support people are you gonna you know go out on a limb and protect people it's Mm -hmm. like it's you know people have a trajectory of they can continue down this path from being a child if they do nothing but you have to put yourself out there and yeah. do, be brave. Going back to the beginning of the movie, walking into the baseball yeah. um, area, like not knowing anyone. And it's it's something that you proactively have to do. And it's weird. I can't think of another movie where so many characters are totally two-dimensional, but you still come out of the movie thinking like, oh, that really like, there, there was a lot of metaphors in there that kind of had an impact. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. But yeah, so at the end of the movie, we discover where all the kids have, you know, where they've gone as they've grown up. And then we flash forward to kind of where we were at in the beginning of the movie, which is Scotty is the color commentator for the Dodgers where Benny is now playing. Now, Will, I don't know about you, you're a baseball fan, but for me, the biggest mistake in the Sandlot 
was putting Scotty as the new Vince Scully yeah. for the Dodgers because Vince Scully was still calling the games oh, yeah. during this movie as the, the time period when this movie was supposed to happen. So to have Scotty come in and be the new Vince Scully, I'm like, what happened there? Did Benny the Jet have some sort of deal with the front office? I, I don't know. It's the most unrealistic part yeah, of the movie. Yeah. Among many baseball-related plot holes that is the one that's like this makes that makes no sense whatsoever <laughs> and also but i also have to say that i in that scene do appreciate benny's mustache <laughs> like, it's like like he when he when he comes up after having stolen home and like gives his buddy a thumbs up and he's just rocking that like weird mustache it's like wow you, you have matured as a as a yeah it's like that thing i'm an adult now yeah. <laughs> I, I think there was something about that and they lived happily ever after yeah thing that just kind of they weren't quite... It wasn't the neatest bow of tying everything up, yeah. but it was a bow nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I remember I said at the beginning, I was like, didn't understand baseball at all. I love the fact that the win was him stealing fourth base. Stealing home, sorry. I love the fact that it was him stealing home versus, like, getting a home run. And it was something, like, very short, because the movie, I think, by that point was long enough, and exciting to close it out. And I, at the time, I'd have been like, what do they mean? And yeah. then there, I was like, I was, I was actually sad. They're like, ah, oh, they're going to make it. And also, it was so close, it didn't feel like a good decision. You know, it didn't feel <laughs> yeah. like, it felt like a little bit of a risky move to do that. Yeah, that would have been something that would never happen. You would never steal home in that, in that situation that in a baseball game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so that, but it is funny because it is, that is like a, a far more rare thing to have happen than a home run. So in that, in that regard, it's like, speaks again to his character because it goes back to the very first thing in the movie. But it is this hilarious thing where it's like, this is so deeply unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of anger yeah. coming out there. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but it was yeah. deeply unrealistic. <laughs> summary of like, your impression of the movie. Uh, well, Will, thank you so much for joining us Thanks today. Thanks. Yeah, this has been great. I feel the same energy now as I did when we first started. I haven't slumped very much. What about you, Naomi? Yeah, can we please just do this over the weekend? <laughs> yeah. Like, like, more, it's easier for people to be available. We're not stressed. <laughs> I wonder why you did this to me before. <laughs> but no, this has been wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, so, thanks thank so, much, so much, Will. Thank really appreciate it. Yeah. Dun, 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 dun. This is a special message from Wonder Woman. Happy belated Father's Day.